0: 6 o'clock in London, it's, summertime has happened, 2pm in New York, 5am in Hong Kong, 5am in Sydney, therefore it must be 3am in Sydney actually 5am in Hong Kong, that's a typo, 11am in San Francisco and 23.30 at night in Mumbai. Greetings, good morning, good afternoon and good evening wherever you are in the world. My name is Patrick L. Young, the IPO vid livestream, series 4, episode 6, number 24 in the canon of IPO vids. Start here to infinity and beyond when the prescient words of astronaut Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story, and doubtless that was his description of his blockchain and Bitcoin portfolio in recent weeks. Some say there's a bubble upon us in many, many things, while others say the inflation bug is creeping upon the whole world. The COVID economy is chaotic, but markets remain remarkably buoyant while interest rates are at zero apart from the US Treasury bonds, were horrors. We have seen rates above a giddy 1.6% on 10-year notes, and somewhere around 2.4% on the 30-year benchmark. Watch this space, ladies and gentlemen. Only a few hundred basis points more, and that
1: outbreak of
0: the yield curve may yet be upon us. In other news, the European Union says Britain should give the Elgin marbles back, presumably to Turkey, who were controlling Greece when Lord Elgin bought gilded elements from the interior and exterior of the Parthenon. In fact, the EU seems eager to blame the UK for just about anything now that the UK has left the EU. After another spat of vaccine arguments over the course of the last week, Where Brussels seems to have lost any comprehension of the simple first-in-first-out order rule, some gamblers are starting to put money on when the European Union will be blaming the UK for, for example, starting the Second World War. With Northern Ireland being held hostage, Brussels' Anus Horribilis carries on. And indeed, last week's IPO vid guest, Daniel Hobson, made an excellent plea today for parallel markets. Are we going to see a Euro-Euro? Daniel Hodgson mused in City AM this morning, Tuesday, March the 16th. Elsewhere, good stuff from International Women's Day, albeit, again, how can we have a credible discussion about equality when over 50% of the population get just one day devoted to their annual contribution to humankind? Nonetheless, the headlines were, Fascinating firms with women in leadership repay loans better noted a leading Jamaican finance firm, and that echoed from across the Caribbean throughout the world. It resonated in the heart of the Balkans, for example, where the CEO of the Zagreb Stock Exchange, Ivana Gazic, noted, if financial institutions' management boards are balanced, they act much more cautiously and rationally. In direct offerings this week, parents the world over can see their children building a bridge between their offspring's appetite for Robux and the transition to US dollars, as Roblox made their New York Stock Exchange debut through a direct offering. Here's to more profits in dollars, and indeed, Robux for all. Who knows, sooner or later, will we see a central bank digital currency based upon Roblox's own little Robux. Over in China, news that the owner of TikTok, ByteDance, have invested in a self-driving startup, is leaving me with some concerns for the future of Chinese road safety. Digital asset finders Eric Sarinetsky was on this show a couple of weeks ago on the IPOVID live stream, and he mentioned StockX. Now, StockX is a fascinating business relating to trainers and sneakers, as our American cousins would call them. That has an exchange, StockX previously appeared amid the pixels of Exchange Invest, and it's fascinating to hear that during the course of the last week, the world of stagging sneakers, buying them in advance of a higher profit on issue, has now had its first high-profile veteran during the Well, interesting post-trade denouement, Nike veteran Anne Herbert was forced to quit her employer, Nike, of over 25 years after her son used her credit card to buy Nike shoes for a profitable resale. Digital markets and exchanges have viability in so many places, but they also create risks when it comes to real or perceived insider information and related conflicts of interest. Finally, the headline of the week for traders everywhere, ladies and gentlemen, derivatives get a bad rap, but they help keep hamburgers affordable. Take a bye, CFTC commissioner Don Stump for elegantly explaining the merits of derivatives with orderly markets and sound regulation in Washington DC's Roll Call magazine. All this and more, ladies and gentlemen, has already been covered in greater detail. In Exchange Invest Daily, the unique newsletter of the bourse business, and we're celebrating an incredible milestone 2001 issues today. A whole new millennium, a whole new Odyssey, and exchange obviously no less awaits us in the third millennium of Exchange and Best Publishing. Send us an email or hit me up on social media wherever you're watching this video. Patrick L. Young is my name, and we can get you signed up to understand the exchange business. Thirty day 30-day free trial now available for everybody who's interested. The- Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a magnificent guest. Last week, we had a former CEO of the Life Exchange. This week, we have a true life veteran. Neil Crammond is coming to us talking about bridging the trader gap across markets. Originally, Neil started his career on the Baltic Exchange in the City of London in grains and potatoes. Then he moved to the opening of the Life floor in the royal exchange and indeed there's a great link between the royal exchange and the man who's going to be coming on next week because neil Craman finds himself in between sandwiched if you like two gresham professors of commerce and indeed those gresham professors owe their financing to the royal exchange itself which was founded by thomas gresham many hundreds of years ago neil has acted as a broker and local trader in london and chicago as well as being a true electronic trading pioneer Neil, good evening. Where in the world are you today?
1: Uh, yes, Patrick, I'm currently just south of London in a place called Petswood in Kent.
0: Excellent. Petswood, what a lovely environment. That's a very nice place to be indeed. And somewhere that leaves you close to London, but at the same time elegantly in the leafy shires and the leafy suburbs of the capital of the UK. So tell us, what are you doing there? What's,
1: what's um, up- well, basically, uh, someone asked me a few years ago whether I would like to bridge the gap from uh, retail trading into professional trading. What I didn't realize was obviously the regulations and the fences that were put up to stop people attempting to, to uh, bridge that gap. Uh, and obviously, I'm very glad that you welcome me here today to try and explain uh, and maybe ask uh, questions. How do we bridge the gap between the retail? trader and the professional trader and basically what is the professional trader? Obviously you could say, because I started in 1982 and obviously coming up to almost 40 years of trading, does that make me a professional trader? Well actually it doesn't, uh, which may obviously perturb you and many of your listeners who are thinking that anyway. So. That is a very good
0: point. I mean, you think about it. Here are lots of us. We've been on the floor of life at one point in time. You were there for greatly longer than I was. You were there before me, and indeed you were there after me in my brief period on the floor. But nowadays, there is an outrageous amount of regulation, and it seems almost as if the regulation is to try and somehow or other stop people managing to trade and work their way up the investment ladder, or at least so it feels to me.
1: Well, I think the, the, the sad thing is that, obviously, you probably remember uh, being on the floor that we we did have that transition of stuff from being one of those horrible yellow jackets which you couldn't find the suit and tie to match going through to becoming a blue button the same happened with the stock exchange and obviously the commodity exchange as well and therefore you were supervised uh, and chaperoned so much into becoming the next branch and then obviously giving your i think the life was a silver badge that allowed you to trade uns supervised but that whole link or you could call, call it an apprenticeship quite a popular word now in 2021 you you were uh, administered by both the london international financial Futures exchange and any any other exchange so there, there was that link and there was that help currently as a retail trader there is nothing at all out there for them to say where can i go next where can i go from an amateur football player to a professional Football player. And it's no surprise that when you look at most of the retail platforms out there, there's a little sign at the top there that says 80% of people who trade retail platforms fell. Now, that is probably one of the main reasons or the carrot that said to me, I'm going to come in here and help the company out and get that 80% down to probably 40%. A a big challenge. But in a way, all of these is opening doors and giving people opportunities into what they could trade.
0: It's fascinating isn't it? I mean years ago I was involved with one of those sorts of platforms very briefly for the simple reason that I did the calculations before the regulators asked and it was obvious everybody was losing as you say 80% of their money within 2 years and I said why don't we actually spend some money and try and keep these people trading and educate them more in order to stay there and the management just looked at me askance we don't want to do that you just get new customers in and then you get rid of their money and then when and it was really like that fantastic definition by uh, Woody Allen of a stockbroker, you know somebody who invests your money until it's all gone, and I think it's a terrible. I mean, unfortunately, there's a very cynical element of the brokerage community out there that I really find it very difficult to approve of.
1: Well, I, I think, and we don't want to name and shame people or, no. or companies. We're not here to do that, really. But like you, like you've very made very clear, eighty percent of people do fail and the few of the companies are quite happy because they've got a revolving door and especially uh since the lockdown the, the in the in fashion thing as we can't wear any fashionable clothes is to become uh, a so-called day trader whether you're retail trading or obviously robin hood or anyone else but i think currently uh ringing up we we obviously have new clients coming in every week and, and educate to trade we have to monitor them and see if they fit the purpose to carry on Uh, uh, However, the waiting list for them to join some of these retail platforms now are are probably two, three, four weeks. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, there's been such a growth in the number of traders. And obviously, the thing, I think one of the good things, though, is at least now with Robinhood, and we can discuss payment for order flow and all those things separately, at least the good thing is, that these people are actually trading on regulated orderly markets because there had been so long where people were trading in rather, some might say, shabby OTC markets that didn't necessarily give them a fair go in the first place.
1: The the one thing, I'm smiling, I shouldn't really smile, you didn't mention the word orderly and uh, Robin Hood and orderly are... i think <laughs> we're slightly wider than mark and then this is the issue from retail trade to are trading and i'm sure you are very much aware of it and we'll sort of pin it down in that if we traded on the market even five years ago uh, and for instance game stock it last week moves something like 40 percent in 10 minutes flat well th- this is where the uh, the, the regulation or, or more daniel hodgson and, and other chairman of the exchanges i mean Mr. Barksham, first Thursday twenty-two, they were to close that contract down until it's sorted it out, because one of the first rules of an, you know, as an RIE, a recognised investment exchange, is to provide that indeed fair and orderly markets. And sadly, uh, maybe due to volatility on some of these markets, uh, and we can include cryptos as well, markets that swing ten, twenty percent in an hour and a half, basically are not fair and orderly markets. And for anyone new coming in should stay out well well clear
0: yes i mean it's incredible some of the volatility we've seen particularly given the fact that we've just gone through a really low volatility decade in many senses Mm,
1: yeah and obviously quantitative easing stimulus and everything else made that and you know when you think that that vix index came out in 1993 and the lowest it's ever been it's like 10 or something just just above 10 and up to 2017 uh, we were just below 10, I think, even up to last year. And obviously, you can't p- uh, predict a pandemic or such. But I think this time last year, the VIX index shot up to, I think, over 80. And obviously, we're now back to the low 20s. But that's still a high volatility that we've seen in the last decade.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So we've got this very high volatility market. We've got lots of new retail investors are trying to get in. And they're hitting this brick wall because it's very difficult to get yourself up to professional trading standards. So tell us, I mean, without giving us all the secret sauce, how do you go about trying to elevate people into being professional traders?
1: I, I, I think the the main thing is from those professional trades or the, from the retail trades they come in with the wish to thinking I, I want to drive that Lamborghini and everything and that the helicopter and the plane which you see on on the adverse. and obviously we know through foreign exchange as such the regulation is less than obviously other der- derivatives comes as such so basically it's giving them the, the, the education to learn how to trade. I mean, we have people who come in, for instance, and I'm, and I'm sure you know that tomorrow is a big day for the FOMC and Mr. Powell's got to make a, a great speech uh, this time tomorrow, was it six o'clock to six thirty, and where he can put uh, interest rates or whatever he can do. Uh, however, most retail traders would not have a clue. Uh, and and it's the same thing when we first asked you when they when they come in, uh, and then retail traders may have dabbled a bit. remember that most of them are hobby traders. remember most retail traders who come in it's not their career choice they have another job now we, we have I know the butcher the baker candlestick maker we have professionals everywhere who, who also want to trade because they enjoy trading they, 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 they most of them don't actually come in for the extra money after a while they they, they enjoy the thrill of trading and making the money and the challenge like playing a game of chess I suppose so again one of the first questions we come in uh, is we always ask them is that if there if there was a bomb in the house of the parliament, uh, now, what what would you trade and why? Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm sure you get an incredibly exciting range of answers.
1: We have answers from ringing your mother, uh, to obviously selling the stock market and and most other things. But in all fairness, most retail traders are uh, are fairly uh, switched on as such, and they normally would say they'll just buy gold, which is obviously probably the most correct answer there uh mm-hmm. so it, it, it it's just that when they sign up to a to a a, a retail platform of which there are many I, I god knows how many retail platforms are out there uh hundreds probably they don't give that advice in in fairness to them they have massively improved on that service and without doubt i'm sure the regulators have told them to because i think or tell me if i'm wrong january the 6th this year a lot of retail traders were not allowed to trade cryptos obviously because of volatility until they're established as a professional trader, which yeah, is the positive.
0: Which is the positive. And certainly, I mean, that sort of licensing is, is no bad thing. But of course, one of the difficulties, and this goes back to your original point, is it's incredibly difficult because the the licensing seems to be such a miasma. I mean, it's almost, if you haven't traded the product, then you can't be regarded as skilled enough to trade it, but you can't trade it because you're not allowed to trade it. And that seems to be a huge degree of the problem with regulation these days. Uh,
1: I think it is, but I think, I mean, obviously, when you invited me on here, and thank you again, I asked quite a few people around it, and I think it comes down to the same uh, when you are on the life floor, and obviously, you would deem to be a local on the life floor, but in theory, you were just a self-funded trader who, who cleared uh, as an NCM through through, through a, a full clearinghouse as such, and as a self-funded trader, you had no interest in trading for someone else, either you have been a broker, you were just there to... to uh, uh, Rob, cheat, and steal, whatever you want to say about it, nip and tuck, make your money, uh, provide a bit of liquidity for the exchange, and and that was your living full stop. The problem now with the retail trader and everything else, the self-funded own account trader cannot, in theory, become a professional trader.
0: Yeah, that's rather weird. So is there a way to manage to break through from being the self-funded amateur trader to being regarded as being a professional?
1: Uh, currently, obviously, you have to go through your compliance, or, 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 or and obviously, if you are a self-regulated uh, trader, a sort of self-funded trader, you don't need to be regulated either. In, in, all fairness, because as long as you put your own account up and, and you know how to trade, uh, why would you want to become a professional trader as well? So it, it works both ways. Because in theory, if if you're if you're under that seventy-five grand, uh, you are probably protected. If if uh, anything goes pitong as, as such. Uh, but, uh, however, if you're a professional trader, you don't get that, that protection as such. So, in theory, would we advise retail traders to try and become a professional trader or hide behind them being so-called an amateur trader with a, with a large account? So,
0: let's say, stepping forward from the that Obviously, the thing we're really interested in this evening is looking at the skills gap. So, I mean, how do you go about it? You've told us you you tell some stories and you bring people in and you sit them down. But when you're dealing with the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker or whoever it is, how do you go about structuring to help people improve their trading longevity?
1: The trade longevity, what we try to do on on a simple one-to-one course, we basically... Uh, Fill the diary in obviously to 12 months and we split that into a month And we know that every figure that comes out in the UK in the US in Europe comes out every month So we know the first Friday of every month is non-farm payroll and ISM. We know every uh, five six weeks with a Central Bank and obviously this week we've got the FOMC the Bank of England the Bank of Japan So we, we spend a whole month with them going through every single figure Every single day, every single opening, uh, every single Wall Street. So basically, although it sounds as though they're here for 25 days, in theory, we're looking at that at 8 a.m. opening, obviously for Europe and the U.K. Obviously, this week, the 1.30 opening because Wall Street's uh, put their clocks forward as such. And obviously, we go for the close as well, at 4.30 for the UK, and obviously the US closed uh, this week, the next two weeks is 8pm. So we try and replicate real-time trading for the whole month. And in theory, once they've done that, in theory, you'll say, well, you just repeat that for the next 12 months, or 11 months to be honest, yeah. So so we, we try and get as close as we can to, to making them as a real, as a professional trader, a real-time trader and see if they like it. Obviously, after a while, most of them are saying, well, actually, I can only really trade from 5.30 to 9, uh, which which is OK, because remember, so many locals working in London and, and Chicago only work three, four hours a day anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. And I mean, it's, it's an interesting point, because also now, in this era of what I would call super liquidity, it's so easy to manage to pick even two or three hours in the USA with the S&P and the other the NASDAQ index futures, just to name a couple of stock indexes. And I mean, the possibilities in options are simply beyond belief if you want to trade these days compared to what we were used to, say, 30 years ago.
1: And I, and I think and in all fairness, uh, it, it, uh, some of the big exchanges, I mean, the, the CME gave a fantastic lecture last week which lots of our members went to about explaining uh, S&Ps mini yes and please and obviously the options as well so uh uh that helps as well and i think the exchanges are trying to bridge the gap but let's say that as you know what happened probably five or six years ago if you wanted to trade on the exchange the the uh, full clearing members upped whether you had an account from 25 grand to probably 50 grand or even more so therefore that priced out quite a few uh, locals who were on the floor who maybe only wanted to trade uh, small clips. But obviously, uh, they probably trading those clips 30, 40, 50 times a day. So they they, they were thinking, actually, the exchange don't want us anymore. But obviously, yep. you know full well that the full clearing members who probably were four or 500 in debt, say 10 years ago, and probably now down to about 50, 60, who want to take on independent traders. Yeah. So those traders thought, well, actually, I can't afford to have that in my, in my account and not use it. And I don't want to put 50 grand or 75 grand. I might as well go back, or not back, I might as well try the retail trading out. So there's no surprise that that some of these retail platforms have grown tenfold. Uh, And in theory, what Robin Hood has done, very simple, was to encourage that 18 to 24-year-old who couldn't ever get into the exchange, or will never be allowed to, and and get them up and and running to, to making money as such.
0: Yes, it's absolutely fascinating. And in fact, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Neil Crammond this evening. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you for joining us on the IPOvid livestream. Don't forget, Exchange Invest is the daily benchmark newsletter about exchanges and market structure. We're celebrating our 2000th anniversary issue. That was yesterday. 2001 was today. We're now into a whole new exchange odyssey as our third millennium is upon us. We're read by the leading figures in the parish of exchanges across the world. I'd like you to be part of that community. Send us an email, join us on social media, send us anything that you would like in terms of a message to let us know how we can get in touch with you, and we'll give you a free 30 day trial too the newsletter the unique business of forces daily insight now meanwhile also ladies and gentlemen i'd love you to give us a bit of love this evening so if you could manage a little like across the bottom of whichever social media you're watching this live stream on it would be really really welcome and indeed moreover why don't you ask a question we've got neil cramond in the studio today he's talking to us from kent just south of london and he's discussing well the whole business of trading we've got someone in front of us who's got a 40-year history of trading markets trading derivatives and all sorts of products from potatoes to financial interest rates and equity derivatives amongst others send us a message send us any sort of a question you'd like we'd love to hear from you ladies and gentlemen just Thinking about what you've been saying, I mean, it's very interesting, this whole Robin Hood phenomenon. I mean, one thing I find fascinating is, in fact, so many people are very, very eager to give their money to a company called Robin Hood. I mean, um, at least the Sheriff of Nottingham actually had a large castle where I thought once segregated funds were quite safe when they were stored there. And I hear today that actually there's been a huge funding round for a new Robin Hood competitor, I kid you not, called the Great Gatsby, which definitely suggests that branding has moved into a whole new paradigm that I'm not sure about. Looking though at the Robin Hood phenomenon, do you think that has been a positive thing for markets, a negative thing for markets, or is it just too early to tell?
1: Uh, it's, a, it's a very good question. And obviously, going back to when we were open outcry, and obviously, Daniel Hodgson, your, your last guest, was the last chairman of the exchange when we were open outcry and we had to expand so at the time when we were trading open outcry we were basically even though we had a computer system called the apt it was only uh, available yeah uh within the m25 so obviously we had to expand and therefore we had all these new exchanges open up everywhere and that's what the market wanted and that's what they got however you get the rough with the smooth and the, and the problem uh, with Robinhood is the same with all 18 to 24 year olds. And we have many coming in, as I just said, they, they called the, uh, you only live once, a go loads everything else. They don't come in as someone who would say in their thirties or forties, who wants to invest and make money. They have come in and say, I've got five grand to lose. Yeah, so it's a whole different conception of how they want to trade. Uh, they're obviously, they're not as gung ho, but they're 10 times more gung ho than we ever were when we were 18 to 24. Uh, are, they, are those 18 to four-year-olds richer, or do they have, say, two, three, four grand, uh, I don't want to say to waste or, or to lose, but I think they, they talked, they said, I've got three grand to, to have a go, uh, and uh, hence these uh, from Robin Hood, they've used that golo very well, and I think their last count, they had over 18 million clients.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's an incredible number altogether. But then then let me ask you a quick question with that. Say you've got three, four, five thousand pounds or dollars these days. Is that really viable from which you can manage to start building yourself a trading, if not a full-time career today, at least start building your pot towards a trading career?
1: Most of our retail traders who come onto our our Educator Trade books, and, and one of the things we do offer, which has been very popular, uh, is, the, is the recent... Management tool where we basically teach them, and as it's quite weird, and obviously it doesn't probably happen in most of Robin Hood shares, but we we uh, instruct them, <laughs> uh, mentor them that they shouldn't lose more than three percent of their uh, account a day. Uh, so therefore, when it's see the go low, thinking, "Oh, I know, I bought Bitcoin at that forty thousand and sold it at fifty thousand, I've doubled my account." In reality, we know that could work the other way. So as much as we love to double our account, we'd hate to blow our account up. And 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 sadly, all those go lows we've seen in the last two, three weeks, we may have seen one or two have said they've done fantastically well, but the majority of them, I'm pretty sure, are blowing their accounts up. So in theory, yeah, most of our traders who come in on the retail, we advise them to start with five grand, no more than five grand, because in, in theory, as you know, you, you have to accept that you are going to lose money now and again. But how much money you lose in your discipline is probably the only way to go forward. And, and I think some wise man said many moons ago, you count the pennies and the pounds will follow.
0: Yes, absolutely. And certainly it's, it's very interesting because I think, of course, one of the other problems can be that when you do turn up with five thousand uh, pounds or dollars, you can't actually get an account with anybody except some of the really chunky operators, which can be a challenge.
1: I think in, in in all fairness, I mean I mean when, when some of the main ones IG CNC who we use all of them we, we don't we don't uh, particularly point any one of them and, and compliance wise we, we know that so we can't uh, and most of them have been very good uh, mm-hmm. and obviously the, the problem they've got is that they haven't got the manpower to teach those traders to say this is your discipline this is your else so in the way that's where We've come in a way to take them on board ourselves as such and, and help them not to blow their accounts and, and, and the same thing if you've got a five thousand pound of cake making a fifty pounds in one day is quite an achievement Yeah, and the same thing, you know, you were years ago when you were local on the live floor You did exactly the same thing. However, you were backed by a, a, a big a, a big company who probably yeah. gave you a cut of 50 50 or 40 60 and therefore it went that way and the issue you've got at the moment there's not that many prop houses out there who are, who are willing uh, to take you on because the cost to train someone up, as, you, as we have spoken to you before, it, it, A, is costly, it's probably about 30, 40 grand, but also it probably takes about 12 to 15 months to train people up. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, actually, we had um, we had Lee Hodgkinson who was on just a month yep. ago. from Not far away from you in Kent. Very
1: close, yeah. It's uh, exactly. Five miles down the road.
0: Yeah, precisely. I mean, the clustering effect in Kent of the world's prop trading houses. And it was interesting to hear from him because he was talking about OSTC and how they've got a very technologically driven methodology and approach to training people, which I think is fascinating because they really – it's amazing to see a group of guys, what, three, four guys who came from the floor of life, and they ended up with this amazingly complex methodology by which they're training people, they're monitoring their fitness – I mean, it's truly
1: sci-fi stuff. I th- I think you'd be fairly shocked that when when the floor when the floor shut, I went to work at OSTC in Bromley <laughs> as a as a futures trader. Uh, and obviously, remember uh, you might remember the David Kite Kite yep. Futures. They yep. they when they first started, they were part. I think it was on-screen trading. They merged with Trading Technology, so that they came OSTC. And their business model is superb. And uh, yeah, uh, Daddy Langley, Rob Brophy, uh, and and uh, Johnny Ocamps, and Mark Slade done a fantastic job. And anyone else I missed out there, uh, and they, and Lee Hodgson has come in the last two years and a superb CEO
0: absolutely superb CEO altogether it was great to have him on the show just about a month ago you can catch that go to youtube.com look for IPO-vid and you can get all of our back issues including the interview with Daniel Hudson, former CEO of Life to which we've been referring earlier this evening and of course you will be able in posterity to catch this excellent interview with Neil Crammond. Neil we've got a couple of questions oh very interesting one we've got LinkedIn, somebody's asking us where should I start trading? Where should I start trading stocks, bonds, options, futures, forex?
1: Well, I, I, I think it's a, it's a very good question. And, and obviously, most of the people who come into us, and, and we've got the sales team who answer those questions, most retail uh, traders who come in think they can only trade forex. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I think that is part of the education uh, that we give out to them is that as you, as, you, as you well know you can trade all of those things and many more things. Uh, I think you've missed out commodities uh, uh, And obviously he's missed out cryptos in the way you can trade cryptos But two of the hardest things to trade are, are, the, are the two wings you've got there the stocks and the forex uh, I've always said to people when we're teaching people and you're learning there are some, uh, that other contracts that you can trade when you're learning that are less risky and easier as such to, to understand. And, and obviously, uh, when we go through on our, on our one-to-ones, we go through all those contracts, stocks, bonds, options, futures, and forex. And and uh, anyone will tell you options are a nightmare to understand uh, uh, just when people say, why are they called calls and why are they called puts? Celavi, uh, you get over it, and obviously the, the more you get into trading, the more you understand what to trade. And the same thing with Cheltenham on this week, horses of courses. Obviously, with a uh, power the FMC tomorrow, you probably would trade uh, bonds and forex over other things.
0: Yes, absolutely fascinating indeed with Cheltenham on this week and of course St Me's Day tomorrow. A very happy St Patrick's Day to everybody in advance of the Great Irish National Day. Please, in the spirit of political correctness, remember this is the one holiday where we fully anticipate that you will be culturally appropriating everything Irish, no matter whether you've got <laughs> any Irish gene or none whatsoever. It's a big day and just go out and celebrate. And if you can't go out, stay in and celebrate Thank you very much, Marianne Madera. We've got a like on Facebook. Really appreciate it. Hope you're having a wonderful night over there in, I do believe, the Philippines. It's lovely to hear from you. Hugely appreciate it. Thank you for all the support, ladies and gentlemen. Gets us rocketing up the search engines and allows us to get and enable guests like Neil Crammond to be heard by more people, and therefore, more people to understand the science of investing. We're going to get to a great question about the science of investing in a moment. We've got, oh, a series of questions are rolling up. A third already in the mix, if you want to ask what, ladies and gentlemen, this is your opportunity. Talking trading, talking trading education with Neil Crammond. So Agatha Bellon, Agatha, good evening. It's lovely to see you. Okay, Agata is asking. Oh, there's a good one. What's the best book oh. I can read about trading like a professional? Have we got enough time now? Uh,
1: well, there's obviously a multitude of, of questions that, that you can read. Uh, I forgot the, the title, and I'm sure hopefully some will come in. Uh, there's a, there's a. Oh, I think what, what we uh, we look at it's the economic. Atlas of Economic Indicators. I think it was written by Mark Standish and something else. I think it was last printed in 1992 uh, and I call it my Bible. You can't buy it new. It, it did cost about four or five pounds But I think it's because we've so many of our students the last year have taken it up It's about 40 or 50 pounds now. It basically tells you what every figure is uh, in the US uh, and obviously uh, and, and some European figures and some of those these things names have changed. I'm sure uh, Patrick remember the, the word napalm, which is now changed to uh, oh, yes. uh, some other things Obviously, we can't call things napalm anymore for, for many reasons, but all those names they tell you Why you they trade those things and I think one of the biggest biggest things I tell the retail traders and where they come across They all think the markets move on technical reasons but anyone who tells you who's trading a proprietary house or, or, or a hedge fund of house, it, it's normally news or fundamentals that move markets. Uh, so, so those books, try and get things as real as possible. And obviously, it, it will tell you what the, the, the GDP is, what the equation is. If a higher GDP, what do you want to trade uh, on a on the figures, if it's good for the dollar, if it's good for the bond, if it's good for the equities, all those things, they really help you. So that therefore, when you go to most people's desks, they have it on the desk. And I've just seen uh George Brown there has said the yeah. atlas of econ- economic indicators. Thank you very much. I normally have it on my desk, but I lent it to a student a couple of weeks ago and he's still reading it, obviously, because it's the F O M C tomorrow very good thank you
0: very much indeed for that intervention george george Brown. i'm going to come to your question in just a moment it's the atlas of economic indicators a visual guide to market forces and the federal reserve and it's by the fabulously titled w stansbury Carnes and stephen d silder i think or slider it's quite difficult to read reading it off my off my small my small prompt screen
1: and and I think it's Harper's and Collins. I do think I, I may be wrong, but I do think they are both deceased now. <laughs> uh, right. Because I think that's they both wrote it in 1970. Uh, yes. Uh, so, but that's the one I read, and I, and every now and again, whenever the figure comes out, I reread it. Uh, it's a bit like, as I said before, it's a bit like your Bible. So you understand a higher figure, what it affects, what markets, and and etc. So a very simple. If you are professional, read it. it. It doesn't take very long.
0: Excellent. That's brilliant. And thank you very much for the pointer. Thank you for the question, Agatha Bellon. And thank you also for the pointer, George Brown. I'm going to come to your question in just a second. As we move on from the art, the Atlas rather, of economic indicators, Um, we are moving to a regular on this show, as indeed, thank you very much to the producers on Flying Form this evening. There we have the Atlas of Economic Indicators, a visual guide to market forces and the Federal Reserve by W. Stansbury Carnes. It's a mass market paperback, apparently, published last printed in, I believe, 1992. Let's move to John Folk. Good evening, John. It's lovely to have you with us again this evening. Thank you very much for both watching regularly and your regular questions. What a good one this is. Ooh. So, what does a human trader bring to the market compared to an automated or AI trader?
1: Well, in a way, uh, I think I use John's words, are they the same thing? In theory now, uh, most, most of the platforms you can use now with many mice, you can be a human trader or, or, or in theory, a human algo. The the argument being is that uh, how fast can you be? Is, is an AL trader faster than a human trader? Uh, uh, the whole thing of why people moved over to automation and why high-frequency traders uh, did, up to last year, have 85% in the market, and obviously that's dipped a lot in, in, the, in the last year. Maybe... Basically, because uh, to me the colocation that their 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 screens or the service can't be as near to the exchanges because most of them are working from home. So, so all of a sudden the speed of the AL trader has has slowed down, which has allowed the human trader, or or as we know them in the old days, the point and click trader, to catch up. The same thing when the motorways are at 70 miles an hour, the fast cars overtake you. But but when they put speed restrictions up, in the end you can do 50 miles an hour. It doesn't matter what car you're in you're driving at the same speed so from a human trader point of view his emotion may came in i think a lot of uh automated traders um uh tend to buy highs a lot not highs and human traders do and sell loads as such uh and and it'd be interesting to see when you get a, a big event uh let's get it right this time last year when uh wall street was i think i think it's. Maybe uh, tomorrow, Thursday, this time last year, this, the 17th, I think what it was, uh, the uh, Wall Street moves 3,000 ticks in a day. I'm pretty sure that most of those automated AL traders didn't have a great day. And without that doubt, the majority of human traders who were trading had a field day. It's probably the best day of the year.
0: Yes, very interesting, therefore. when So therefore, on the truly big day, you're probably looking at the human trader as opposed to the AI trader.
1: I, I think it, it normally, in, in most things, if you're a, 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 a high frequency trader, uh, nitpicking, taking ticks here, ticks there, when the, when a, a volatility day comes, very often we do see the uh, liquidity shrink because most of those uh, AL trades, ultimate trades, will just turn their machines off. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the Citadels, the Virtue, the D&Ws, you name them, uh, would, would struggle with the markets very, very fast.
0: Very interesting. And actually, John Falk's coming up with a, a follow-up, which I'm going to take first, and then I'm going to get to your question, George Brown. Apologies for that. But uh, it's not first in, first out, the algorithm for questions here, because I think this is uh, a follow-up. Oh, good. So he's saying, does the human trader have a better feel for how a market may move? And he's saying Neil has already answered the second question. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you, John, for asking the question. It's a pleasure to see you this evening.
1: So I, think, that, go. So I think also, quickly, going go to what John said. Is the once you understand the price action, uh, especially as a as a human trader, and you can find that market profile or, or whatever. You, you, I mean, you can see a tide go out and a tide come in. It, it doesn't take very long to uh, to take that s- s- skill on. And when you've got big orders coming in, like we have certain times out of the day, m- like a Wall Street most openings, uh, you can you, you tend as a trader to go with that trade.
0: Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you once again, John Falk. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to ask a question about trading, now you've got the opportunity to talk to a genuine polyglot of the trading industry. He's been around it for 40 years and can talk just about any market you want. He's traded in London, traded in Chicago and all over the world from the comfort these days of Kent in the shires just outside of London. So, George Brown, thank you very much. You came up with that name, the Atlas of Economic Indicators a moment ago. Really appreciate that. And for this question thank you for waiting patiently as a new trader how many hours per week should be looking to research on the side of a full-time job and do you offer flexible one-to-one teaching
1: oh i, I think i'm right and, and you tell me if i'm wrong patrick i think warren buffett said you have to read 500 pages of news a day to be a uh, a, a research trader i i, I tend to think I'm not too bad, i probably read about 15, uh, which is enough for me. Uh, And and obviously the the second question to there, do we offer flexible one-to-one teaching? I think what we've done, I think I mentioned earlier, is that what we're trying to do is to replicate real-time trading. So you put yourself uh, as a professional trader and you probably have two or three uh, junior traders or retail traders who are thinking about taking a job on full time. Uh, and obviously that may be their aim. So we put them through a sort of months of training, each figure uh, as we go on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, times times 20, the days in the month. And hopefully then they will they will see what a what a professional trader or a, or a full-time trader has to go through every day. And as we said before, sometimes when it's quiet, you may only come in for two, three hours a day. However, uh, most uh, professional traders will tell you they're probably at the desk for uh Eight, nine ten hours a day
0: yeah it's a lot it's a lot of work so therefore if you're working trying to get your feet under the table and you're trying to trade part-time which obviously George is talking about while he's learning what sort of time what sort of time should he balance actually between reading and learning and actually trading
1: uh, I think once you understand the the, the fundamentals, obviously you do the technicals, and and you can split it into into three or four. You've got the technicals, you've got the charts that you need to learn, and 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 that takes it that takes its toll. And the certain courses that we provide, educational that follow that, we obviously as we mentioned do the one to ones. That takes a bit longer over a month. Uh, but I think it's the same thing. Is the question we get asked a lot is how long does it take for one to qualify? As a competent trader, yet again, I didn't use the word professional trader because I think that's the wrong word to use. How and, and how long, basically, till I can earn money to pay my bills is something that I've probably been asked probably thousands of times over the last not 40 years, it's actually the last 20 years since we've been on screen. And I think I mentioned that to you before, it's probably 12 to 15 months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, therefore, the, the, the more. Uh, important side of it is therefore can you fund yourself for that time while you're learning to trade not, not as I said before having that five ten grand in your account that, that you need to trade because I, I think like you said earlier having a too small account you're not gonna learn anything and you're probably gonna blow your account however it's the same thing like anything else if, if you go to university anything else you know you don't get your, your degree till three years in a way we can train you up but I think in theory Although this year and last year has been easier because obviously we've had a, a mega year 2020 and 2021 due to the volatility and the pandemic as such. I would say you probably have to look at it minimum of one year. It's going to take you a minimum of one year and actually john falk has
0: asked a great question which is a follow-up related to this question thank you very much george Brown, for your question this evening your interventions feel free to ask another if you'd like to but john's asking an excellent point which is is this a young man's game do you have to be under 30 male or female to be a successful trader these days
1: oh uh, i i think obviously what's happened now as we said before uh, these yolo traders as we said and, and and i think majority of the robin hood traders were 18 to 24 and and obviously robin hood went looking into those universities in america for those very very people however as you said to be a successful trader do you have to be under 30. i think it's the time you put in now in that because you can be sat at your desk, you can be anywhere, you can even be in Malta and trade, someone tells me. Yeah, <laughs> and I think uh, it's, it's, not, it's the time you put in, and, and a lot of the people we take on as students are 18 to 24, but a lot more recently due to maybe redundancies or whatever, I would say are in their mid-30s to above.
0: That's very interesting to hear. There's, there's the possibility. Who knows, Neil? We might even be able to make a career for ourselves at our age. Might even well,
1: happen. Uh, well, I think it's quite funny. Uh, when I worked, uh, obviously, with the live floor as well, there was, uh, there was, a, there was a chap called David Morgan, who, who was definitely not 30, he was probably 60 or 70. And, and obviously, in Chicago, in the commodity pits, the Chicago Baller Trade, some of the people there who trade on the, on the wheat floor were definitely in their 70s and turned up every day to trade. And you know what? They had total respect.
0: Yes, I agree completely. And actually, David Morgan, I don't know whatever happened to him, but he was a, he was an absolute landmark of the life floor, which is incredible because he was only about one. He was, what, about five foot six, if he was even that. But yet he was a landmark on the floor.
1: I think uh, he's still going. Uh, he still turned up to the ex-life uh, uh, life dues. And if you remember rightly, Nigel Farage is the next lifer as well. Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, not, not to name drop or anything, uh, but <laughs> one of the greatest things for David Morgan was, although he wasn't a, a great trader, he was a superb mentor to hundreds of traders.
0: Yes, he was a fantastic manager, mentor, and actually he really found an incredible niche. Because hundreds of people got a living as a result of the way that he managed to manage and organize things. And he was an amazing asset to that business. I'm delighted to hear that he's still going well. I I haven't seen or heard from him in good grief probably 20 years. But that's absolutely super because it just shows you live longer if you've got the excitement of trading in your veins. That's obviously the message we have to come away with today. Exactly. Yeah. So we've got a couple of more questions that have come along. Thank you very much, John Falk, for your questions today. They've been really, really fascinating. Susan McFarlane, good evening, Susan McFarlane. It's absolutely lovely to hear from you today. And you've got a great question. Is this trading something I could do as well as being a full-time mum?
1: Oh, very topical at the moment. Uh, uh, I think uh, it's, it's the same thing that once once we go through and we go through, uh, uh, as I said before, a lot of the one-to-one courses that we do, and obviously I said before to Patrick that we have the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, and currently I'm I'm on the one-to-ones. I've got two electricians on my books who who are actually learning to trade, and what we're working with them is that they're going to trade, as we said before, uh, 5.30 to 9 o'clock. Obviously it will be 8 o'clock this week because of the American – Time apps and such so therefore we fit that they're trading in into what they can fit in. because they're obviously got a nine to five job or, or, or eight to four whatever it is so in theory we have quite a few women on our books who are very good traders uh, and the same thing is that they do the school run. Uh, they come back and do the T run, and like you said, you can virtually trade, uh, I think probably 15 16 hours a day. And those who are even more loopy loo, you could trade the cryptocurrencies 24 7 or such. And I'm sure Patrick remembers uh, very much. We worked on the live floor, some of the scariest people on the floor were female traders. and Total respect to Val Chitty, you remember Val Chitty, mm-hmm. uh, He went on to work for uh, I think ICAP, anything else. Uh, you would not mess about with many lady traders on the floor
0: i think there's a, there's a very rich seam of women who've traded around the world and they've been all sizes shapes forms you name it chicago had many great yeah. lady traders throughout its history i think The question is a great one, Susan. I personally will tell you, definitely go for it. It's an absolute possibility for you. The clear thing is to find the markets and the times that work around your day, because you can do a school run, you can come back. You might find that your metier is perhaps trading options, because you can structure those during the course of the day, and they're not quite as volatile as other things, so therefore you can leave them during the school run. It's a great opportunity. And in fact, we've got an excellent question from a LinkedIn user, which seems to be, following up on that. So I'm going to take the last question in the stack before returning to a digital asset question, um, full time mums are like part time dads. Everybody is welcome. Right.
1: Well, the, the main reason is getting right. Let's get this nip it to the, the bud. Really. The main reason you come into into the uh, uh, retail trading or professional trading or trading anything uh, is hopefully to make money as such. So if, if you if you've got the willingness to, to learn uh, uh, you can succeed so part time is everything i mean sometimes uh, like here today i've probably done a 12 hour day but other days if i want to and and have to leave early for your kid's sports day or to pick your kids up from school or or even as most people do i said before have another job you can fit this in with trading and the same thing is that once you get over the the, the, uh, the aspect that you may have missed a busy day on on uh, monday but you know it's a bit like a, a london bus another one's going to come along very soon so so the period of the month we're probably going to have at the moment eight nine or ten busy days and because you have the calendar there if you if you look at the calendar this week as such you probably think fairly quiet monday tuesday uh but wednesday thursday friday you think that's when i'm going to work and also you think tomorrow going to work it really doesn't get busy till about six o'clock in the evening and on the thursday it's probably midday and friday it's probably early in the morning so in theory although there's probably 40 or 50 hours where you could be at your desk, you could basically pencil that into probably about five or six.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a very, very good point altogether. So there's an incredible flexibility, whether you're a part-time dad or whether you're a full-time mum or however you're going about this, there are opportunities in trading. The most important thing remains risk management, doesn't it, Neil?
1: I think, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you're, you're very much aware of that on, on the risk management side. And I think I said earlier on, if if you look after your pennies, the pounds look after themselves. And, and I think we were very lucky. One of the platforms we managed to get in is the risk management thing we have with traders. And and as we said before, one of the craziest things about David Morgan, uh, who, who looked after many traders on the life floor, was his risk management so even though you may have had a, a five grand account a 50 grand account a hundred grand account and all the prop houses i've worked at before your risk manager was your favorite man because every now and again uh, even looking at Cheltenham, you might as well go there and say i've got 50 pounds in my pocket i'm going to bet on those races you might be tempted to, to then go to the cash point and get another 50 pounds out your risk manager will turn around and say okay sir you've got a thousand pounds account the most you're going to risk today in your 1,000 pound account is going to be 40 quid. Once you've, once you've, once you've lost that 40 pounds, whether it's 8 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock at night, your risk manager will say, stop trading, it's not your type of day today, come back tomorrow. And I think the, the most important I've, I've learned over the years is the risk management. And It doesn't matter. Some people I've worked with have the biggest accounts, seven figure accounts, and they still love their risk manager. Not not so much when he's hooking them when they've lost money, but also look at it on, on the other foot. If you had a very good day and you've got a thousand pounds account and, 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 and some news has come out, yeah, and and you make two three hundred pounds, so you've made thirty percent on your account, you want your risk manager to pat you on the back and and as it's St Patrick's Day tomorrow, to go down the pub and have ten parts of Guinness because you've had your best day so far
0: absolutely he's got to be there and say like all those great irish sages yes. would say you've done well grasshopper and, and i think also there's a great point there actually going back to the very early remarks that i was making this evening i mean ivana Gazic of the zagreb stock exchange talking about international woman day Women's day she was pointing out the fact that women frequently are much more risk conscious and therefore i think susan mcfarlane in answer to your question again It is something that can be incredibly attractive to stay-at-home moms. And unlike the floor, you don't have to jostle in order to manage to get your orders in. You're putting it down the computer, and the computer doesn't know whether you're male or female or large or small or inexperienced or experienced. And that gives you the same kind of terms as everybody else is playing on.
1: Well, I think, you know, obviously from leaving the floor and, and people can remember, we all had to have our, our own mnemonic when trading. It was a three letter mnemonic. And therefore we went on to the anonymity side. So obviously no one knew who was trading. But, but the downside to that, you know, off of a tangent as such, part of the problem with the, the market manipulation and the market abuse is that we don't know who's cheating now. So therefore, whereas beforehand we could nip it in the bud. Uh, if someone who has a badge like NWB, networks Bank or Goldman Sachs, GSF, you were going, sorry, you two, you can't do that because we can see it. Now, because we've got tens of thousands of traders who are under anonymity and just a a, a, a seven-letter code, yeah, uh, get away with it for, say, uh, a week or two weeks. And maybe they may be fine four or five months later. But the problem being is that the market has been abused and the people who have lost money are the ones who suffer.
0: Yes, absolutely. And thank you very much, John Falk. Thank you for that message. Sorry you have to go in the last five minutes of the programme, but we appreciate your kind remarks and your very kind remarks about Neil as well. He's been a super guest this evening. He's got another question lined up immediately, Neil, even though we've only got a few minutes to go. Martin Watkins, a previous guest on this, member of the Chartered Institute of Bankers, many many other things, member of the court, no less, I do believe if I recall correctly. Martin, good evening is the emergence of digital assets going to have a profound effect on trading strategies and the approach you are taking or you will take when teaching people to trade i,
1: I think that is a, such a fantastic question and a really harsh question to ask however i will attempt to answer it uh, and, and, I, and i and i think i'll go back to when the euro first came out and we had a, a mr Dussenberg, who i think was the first chairman Yep. Uh, the of, yeah, uh, and probably not the best chairman. Uh, and I uh, think. And I think obviously when the euro first came out, we all turned around. And obviously you remember it from before when we were trading Germany, we traded Deutsche Marks, French Francs, Lira. Uh, you, you know, you name it, every currency. Yeah. And we were thinking at the time then, how will the euro work? That's going to be a load of crap nobody's going to trade it and, and and the same thing wind on five six years time and i think at the time Dusseldorf came out and said i think the euro's are a success now because i went down to my local town and bought a mcdonald's hamburger and it cost me 2.4 euros so therefore time is a great believer the same with cryptocurrencies anything else how do we teach cryptocurrencies how do you become a professional trader in cryptocurrencies when they've only been around for two three four years and currently to me we can't you can't go and buy a a, say mcdonald's with a bitcoin soon you will and the same thing uh um, on our courses we're currently today i was chatting to my boss and saying that we're going to have to rewrite some of our courses and obviously include uh not just the cryptocurrencies the digital assets in there but also the mechanics behind it and i like the blockchain i mean uh one of the questions we ask most people are like uh, how many cryptocurrencies are there in the world uh and do you know patrick Oh, it's umpteen thousand. I mean, it uh, was umpteen four thousand umpteen years, ago. years ago, of yeah. which probably three and a half, four thousand are completely crap.
0: Yeah, oh, easily. I mean, I think it's <laughs> Peredo's law. I mean, 80 plus percent of them have always been completely rubbish. And uh, but on the other hand, one of them le- listed on Binance yesterday, I do believe, and probably went up. I think it was six thousand percent. I mean, that's quite a, quite a first-day pop by any stretch. And and, and, and so uh, no advocating uh, cryptocurrency investment,
1: ladies and gentlemen. That that goes back uh, to one of my questions I was going to say to you, is that something that moves 6,000% in an hour or two hours <laughs> is, as I said before, one of the criterias for an exchange to put that onto exchange yes. and become a, an, an RIE, was it a recognized investment exchange, is the simple thing, the main job to provide a fair and orderly market. And sadly, something that goes up 6,000%, it was either priced wrongly on the opening, which then years ago, you would have kept it in, in, in pre-opening. I think if we go back to Alibaba when it IPO'd a couple of years ago, yeah. it, it was pre open at like 3 o'clock. I think it pre-opened like uh, four hours later. And, and, and the pre open price kept going up and up and up, which is better than it's suddenly jumping 6,000%.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's quite quite absurd. You may, it makes you wonder what the exchange is actually managing to do, because it certainly doesn't strike us that that exchange is running an orderly market, which I think was actually part of the job that exchanges were supposed to have as a primary task.
1: I think, you know, years ago, I mean, and I've had many quips and grumbles with them, you know, the market super... Living department has a very simple job because they've got a depth of market, they can see who's trading, they can see the bidding offer, 20, 30, 40, 400 prices up and down the market. So they know when it opens, what could happen is someone wants to flip the market, do everything else. It is so easy to see market abuse. However, I've always said who regulates the exchanges, the exchanges are there to make money. Uh, And obviously, if it jumps 6,000%, that's going to create volume and profits for the Exchange. Is it fair and orderly? Sadly, fair and orderly doesn't pay their bills. Mm -hmm.
0: Quiz custodis ipsos custodiet, as, of course, we all used to say on the live floor back in the Royal Exchange days, Um, who guards the guards. So, Neil, one final question. We've actually run out of time today, but I'm going to give you a last minute. Tell us something exciting about what you're looking towards in the world of trading in the near future.
1: Right, I thought about this because I knew you were going to ask him this question, with Mr Biden, uh, with the uh, stimulus bill, with the 65 billion that Mr Sunak found for lockdown and everything else to carry on, what I'm saying, I'm I'm not advocating it, But uh, and obviously we mentioned Robin Hood and and the sheriff of Nottingham as such, I'm going for the Tobin tax, the financial transaction tax, which I think we have to be prepared that it will come into the market. We know many times before when it's been tried in Italy and Sweden, it does not work. However, when uh, Joe Biden's going to find someone to pay for this uh, $1.8 trillion, And he's going to put his uh, corporate corporation tax up and income tax up to 80%. My version is very simple. My offer to the gods is obviously, as an independent trader, rather than have a financial transaction tax, why don't we have a financial alternative cancellation tax? Anyone who puts their orders in and are filled doesn't pay the tax. All those people who cancel their orders, i.e., flash liquidity, will have to pay a a fee. Thank you.
0: What a fascinating concept. I'm sure that debate's going to run and run with uh, the audience and indeed in the pages and the pixels of Exchange Invest, Neil. The idea of an alternative financial transaction tax, a cancellation tax, is that the way for Joe Biden to make himself a solvent $1.9 trillion man? Of (laughs) course, that's the amount of money that he's already spent. Neil Crammond, thank you very, very much. You mentioned the fact that it takes As Warren Buffett said, up to 500 pages of research reading per day in order to be a great investor. Ladies and gentlemen, here's a hint. If you want to manage to know all about what's going on in exchanges, Exchange Invest processes more than 15,000 pages of information every day. Let's look ahead. I mentioned earlier that this week... uh, Neil was a fascinating sandwich between Gresham College professors. Next week we're going to be joined by someone who's got one of the oldest offices in the world of financial centres. We're going to be meeting Professor Michael Minnelli, an old friend, and he is this year the Sheriff of the City of London. He's the older manic Sheriff of the City of London, for indeed there are two. We're really looking forward to having him as a guest talking about the sustainable city and beyond. For this evening, it's been an absolute joy to have you here, Neil Crammond, talking about alternative transaction taxes, talking about ways that we can manage to reduce the 80% failure rate of retail traders and bring them down towards a more manageable level and therefore prolong not just the amount of liquidity they can bring to markets, but also add to their overall home domestic liquidity of their portfolios that's going to be i think something that it takes that's really important because it does indeed as you say likely take you 12 to 15 months to be competent but nonetheless you're offering these fascinating opportunities to have a month of very very in-depth training through I thank you very much martin watkins offering us the fact that it's been superb comments and an ipo video However, he fears that a synthetic financial transaction tax will hit our pensions and he'll be intrigued to see how that pans out. Who knows, one of these days we might just have an IPO bid devoted to the whole concept of how alternative like to the financial transaction tax might actually play out. Susan McFarland. Screw your courage to the sticking place, if I may encourage you to do so. Go forward, start reading. You can be a great full-time mum and a sensational trader in between during the course of those hours. Thank you very much to Agatha Bellon, to John Falk, to all those of you who've managed to make comments this evening, George Brown, for your questions. It's been absolutely a joy having Neil here in the studio. I wish you a very profitable FOMC meeting, during the course of this week, tomorrow evening. So therefore, I hope, ladies and gentlemen, you won't be going excessively in terms of St. Patrick's Day tomorrow, but I wish you a very happy St. Patrick's Day there and culturally appropriate as much as you can. This has been the IPO video, issue number 25, from myself, Patrick L. Young. I'll see you in the pixels of Exchange Invest over the course of the next week. To all our subscribers, thank you and good night.